Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host. I'm with you every week. My name is Joe Hilliard alongside Dave Gurney. And, oh boy, do we have a guest. I always like it when Anthony comes on because we know we're, it's going to get deeper. It's going to get deeper than maybe normal. Anthony Zocalillo is here. Hello, guys. Yeah, the last time he was here, I think I wasn't here. And uh, that after hours, bango. That, oh, that went yeah, deep. Yeah, that that did, went deep. That did go deep. Maybe tonight we'll do the same. You're talking about after hours <laughs> are patreon subscriber based extra episode that you can catch by going to patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast last week we programmed all horror october david which starts next week next week it's I, like i'm so it's excited here we are at its doorstep uh, the doorstep to the gates of hell <laughs> it seems that way yeah starting okay. off in italy so that that's an exciting shall we begin drinking yes absolutely uh we, we need to get something in our glasses for this uh, episode, we don't have necessarily a fantastic pairing, but we have a uh, happy return to the program, I think, of a brewery that I've I've liked since they've uh, become available down here and, and even got to sample a little bit when they weren't quite down here yet. This mm-hmm. is Lone Pint Brewery. They are in Magnolia, Texas, which is kind of like East Texas, I guess, in a vague way, mm-hmm. right? Is that right? I stopped by there on my way back from College Station once. That's all. That's all I know. It wasn't too far out of my way to go there. Um, the beer that they're kind of most known for is that uh, Yellow Rose, right? We've yeah. all had that. We've had it here. At, at least Joe, um, Anthony. Have you ever tried the Yellow I Rose? I don't think so. What style? It's an IPA, it, but it's a single malt and single hop IPA, so it's kind of got that unique uh, spin on it and it's just it's known for really kind of capturing the best of the hops well this is actually a pale ale that they do that i had never had before these cans showed up here just a couple weeks ago this is called xenos uh, i'm assuming there's a greek connection here i should have really looked up what what the whole xenos connection is but it's an american pale ale they aren't claiming it has anything greek about uh its recipe 5.5 alcohol by volume being that i love yellow rose in part for its hoppy aromatics and uh, the way it teases out some of those citrusy notes in the uh, flavor, I'm hoping that they do their wiz- wizardry with these hops just as well in the pale ale style. So let's get some in our glasses. Ooh, I'm ge- I'm definitely getting some nice aromatics it's on the very hoppy, yeah, but in a lively like uh, yeah. fruity floral, crisp kind of smelling, crisp, yeah, not dank. I'm not I'm not getting like that. It's going to be heavy malt. Ooh, I'm I'm really excited for this. We got a lot to chew on, guys, in this first half of the episode. I love it when you get excited. Why, why wouldn't you want me excited? I mean, come I'm on. happy that you're excited. Thank you. I missed David when he wasn't here last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I miss not being here. It was kind of fun to listen to those episodes without me, but I'm glad to be here. Do y'all remember a couple of years ago, a story lit up social media and the Twitter and all of it, uh, where everyday people flip the script on Wall Street and get rich by turning GameStop into one of the world's hottest companies. In the middle of everything is Keith Gill, a regular guy who starts it all by sinking his life savings into the stock. When his social media posts start blowing up, so does his life and the lives of everyone around him. As a stock tip becomes a movement, everyone gets wealthy until the billionaires fight back and both sides find their worlds upside down. Keith Gill, played by Paul Dano. The movie is Dumb Money. 
And then the rest of the film, his family, certainly Pete Davidson is his brother in a smaller role, but also around the country, kind of individuals who are following his advice on purchasing this stock, holding on to it. Hold, hold, hold. Uh, America Ferreira is one of those. We just saw her in Barbie. Good year for her. Great year. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Campbell is the character's name we have in, uh, in, in this one. We, we also have, um, a whole sort of like ensemble cast of yeah. these different players involved. Like you said, Joe, they do a great idea of bringing in some of these smaller investors who are just kind of day traders looking at, uh, these videos that Keith Gill is posting and kind of getting inspired by them, as well as some, uh, surrounding discussion on the Wall Street bets subreddit. Sure. That's a big kind of, yeah. you know, piece of where this takes place. But also the hedge fund, those owners. in the hedge fund. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know how much stock stuff we want to get into. Different hedge funds are owned by a bunch of folks, including Seth Rogen, Nick Offerman and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio, who I hadn't seen in a little while. And I mean, he's definitely uh, he's bulked up. He's a he he is a different kind of presence. He was always a big guy, but you know, he he's really like a commanding presence now. How closely did y'all follow this story when it came out? Uh, Robin Hood, you know, was a piece of it. They were a trading, trading site yeah. that did not charge commissions. A lot of people were using them. Did y'all follow this when it came out? I remember the headlines. I did. Um it was actually how I learned about Robin Hood, which I still use. It's just an easy platform for Easy stock trading. Do they still and they do haven't the... shut you out on anything? No, no, I've never had my buy. Uh, that's good. Buy button shut off. No. Did they? Is this still the inexpensive? It's still free. That's the thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everything they talked about in the movie, in terms of the model, I don't think has changed. I mean, at least not from the consumer end. Interesting. I was somewhat aware of it. In fact, I was teaching a class where we were spending a good chunk of the class talking about social media and, and various you know, messages that get conveyed there and how it kind of shapes the messages, these different forums and all that. And one of the things that kept coming up was the uh, the GameStop short squeeze that was going on at the time uh, or had just kind of unfolded and that we were talking about kind of the aftermath of it that semester. So it was, it was something that I was pretty aware of. I knew enough about it to know what the movie was going to be about, but I didn't know much about it. I learned while watching the movie and I was... Happy almost because then the narrative became a lot a little more surprising for me. Uh, Paul Dano uh, plays a guy who just makes posts on this Reddit specific uh, Reddit forum uh-huh. and uh, is popular there. Roaring when, Kitty. When he did you know about him? No. No. Okay. When one bit of advice that he have has becomes successful, he gets more and more popular. And the concept here is that. Hedge funds and other types of investors will bet against a stock's performance, and they're hoping that the stock will tank. Right. If we can get a rally going on the stock, and in this case, it's more people buying and holding, uh, then the stock is primed to to exponentially shoot up. And that I remember that happening with GameStop. And I think the thing that people don't realize, right? So, like, I have a tiny background in economics. I did a, a. bachelor's degree in economics oh, and i didn't know that i did not know that, <laughs> well, that my, my, writing that down for my double hours. major was biochemistry and economics as an undergrad um and now i've pivoted to media <laughs> studies <laughs> but no nonetheless i had a couple courses one that was you know like a senior level uh, financial economics seminar and we talked about a lot of it the, like these strategies that different um big investors employ and hedge funds were kind of the 90s was all about like these the births of these hedge funds with a lot of it is currency trading they, they're like kind of looking for inefficiencies in the currency markets but also looking for inefficiencies in stock markets 
And, you know, they they see what they look at as an opportunity there to essentially snuff out a company that's on its way out anyway, right? They're just going to take the value out of it, uh-huh. when it when it's going down by doing that short. <laughs> what can happen, though, when you have a short squeeze, when those investors, the small guys, like you were saying, Joe, rally, decide to rally against, you know, for the stock, you drive the price up. There's potentially exponential infinite losses at that point. You know what I mean? Like for when you're, the when you're, folks that are short shorting it, right, right? When you're holding a stock for growth, when with like the long term kind of growth approach to you know, I like this company. I think they're going to keep being profitable. I think they're going to net more dividends for their investors over time. And so holding on to this, I'm going to have more and more money in the future. That's the long position, right? And doing that, yeah, you could, you know profit infinitely, but your risk is pretty low. I mean, you're just, you put in what you put in and if you could lose it, I guess you could lose it all. That is a risk. But if you buy a $2 stock and it goes away, well, okay, you lost $2. You short a $2 stock and it starts creeping up and you might end up ha- being on the hook for billions of dollars, Depending which is what is happening, right, right, exactly in this film. Yeah. yeah. And the other part of the film besides the performances, I know we'll dive into it here shortly, is the class warfare kind of mascotting that yeah. occurred during this event because the film displays, and I remember the headlines being similar, that the power is held by these billionaires. Oh, yeah. And so when we're in trouble or this stock is acting goofy and it's on all the news networks, we've got a little behind the scenes, you know, power to snuff out what's happening here. And once that occurred, as shown in the film and in real life, all hell almost broke loose as far as being able, like, like folks saying, fuck the rich. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. They got us again. Right. So, I mean, at its core, this this film is kind of an underdog story where you have, the, you know, Gil, the, the sort of main guy, Roaring Kitty, who's going on and just, I think, at least as the film portrays it, initially really sees GameStop as being a victim of this kind of short selling uh, scenario that a hedge fund might or several hedge funds might put towards it, where they're saying, like, look, you're not long for this world. We're going to take you out of your misery, right? And we're going to pull money out of it while we do that. But he sees it and he's like, no, this is a viable store, right? Still 25% of gamers still mm-hmm. buy their cartridges, People like to go buy the used stuff, like to sell their stuff. There's going to continue to be a market for that kind of thing, physical media around video gaming. And so it's worth something and to just snuff it out. And I'd like, so, you know, he had like a legitimate position. I think then the way he pitches it and, and not even so much intentionally, at least how they portray it, but just kind of catches the spirit of Wall Street bets as a subreddit, which is, Hey, even we underdogs, like if we can kind of like exploit these inefficiencies in ways that uh, we catch or even create certain scenarios, um, then we stand to benefit as well. And it does become this kind of class story of, you know, the working class, middle class investor who, again, isn't going to be able to put millions, billions behind a certain initiative is still able to achieve something out of the sort of collective impulse of we can push back against these guys who we think have bad position. Some of this stuff's still happening. Um, I'm, sure, you know, I'm sure it is. I remember um, Tupperware recently like spiked for because of the subreddit and yeah it, it, it didn't go anywhere near gamestop and it had a finite run so you know pumped it up people dumped out of it but at the end of dumb money one of the things that they said or maybe it was something that i read 
was these hedge funds no longer look at it as dumb money. They look at what investors right. are doing and, and react to. accordingly. Yeah, you would be so. So that GameStop phenomenon probably can never happen again, right? Because they. I don't want to say they learned a lesson because as soon as they see an opportunity to fuck someone over, they will. But uh, yeah, I mean, there'll be other versions of this probably, but I think you're right that y- you won't be able to replicate exactly this because the hedge funds, as dumb as they are, and I mean, not really all of them. It's mainly uh, the Seth Rogen character who's the the, the foolish one who kind just of a w- won't leave his position and is totally committed to it and has it, you know, sort of trapped in it. That kind of thinking can't exist now for hedge fund managers if they want to continue. You know right. what I mean? Like they, they're not going to be able to do that because it's a very easy thing for the little little guys, little people, uh, little investors to do that sort of thing. So it is interesting that it has this kind of lasting ramification where you can't go after and short companies in the same way you once could, at least not without a lot of reconnaissance to see like, oh, is sentiment this way in these other communities? And Yeah. I liked it. Okay. Th- yeah. Let's. I mean, <laughs> take off your economics well, hat, David. Put your film hat back on. I mean, on. it's important, and and you know, we we can talk about it after hours, maybe. But we kind of had a side conversation with somebody who we thought might be our guest for this episode, but ended up until we got a better one. Go ahead. Absolutely. Until we traded up. Sorry, Sean. We don't mean that. But uh, you know, part of it was he felt so bogged down in the financial economics piece of it. And not really understanding it all that well that he didn't feel the drama in it. You know what I mean? To me, I came out of this film and I told Aaron like, man, that was an intense one for me to watch. I feel the way that I do when I come out of movies about gambling. It's like really when I see movies about people putting big sums of money on the line, I don't know why that is. I think it's just because I realize like if if you lose it, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's just like so gut-wrenching for me to think about putting any money that I actually had on the line in that risky a manner. Not a safe, like, 401k, highly diversified, over the right, course of right. 30 I mean, years, I invest, you're going to be fine. I, I have investments, 401k, that, you know, but you're right. It's a portfolio that's sort of calibrated in a way that's going to hopefully yeah. absorb most sh- major the, shocks. The America Ferreira character had 50000 in savings and put all of it right. in this. Right. And for a while there, well, she was a millionaire, right, for a bit? Yeah. And then... Well, we'll get into the details. Yeah, yeah, of it. yeah. I like this movie very much. I thought the performances were excellent. I did not mind Pete Davidson, and before I, I thought he was really good. I actually. thought he was fine, and I, I it, yeah, it was a character really good. that suited him. And I, before we go on, I want to say Shailene Woodley's name. Yeah, this is the wife. I thought I was looking at a real person the entire time. I thought she was incredible, and I looked her up. These are the five roles that she has in 2023: Dumb Money, Ferrari, yeah. To Catch a Killer, Robots, and Materia Viva. That's a documentary she plays herself. But what a big year for her. A actress, I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, she's... Uh, what was it? She showed up on the uh, uh, Big Little Lies. I think there was a miniseries on HBO. I really yeah, liked correct. her. In, yeah. She, she was in the... Um, oh, I'm going to screw this up. It was the not Hunger Games, but the next oh, dystopian yeah. trilogy... But Divergent not, or something? No. Yeah, Divergent. 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 Yeah, she was in the Divergent yeah. series. Yeah. Um, that was that, when she was really young. young like yeah, that's teenager. Where I, that's yeah. where I know her from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she dated Aaron Rodgers. Oh. She played Mary Jane in deleted scenes of American Spider-Man 2. Huh. Did not know that. Amazing, a- amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, interesting. I'm actually surprised. I didn't think it bogged down in the economics. I thought it was pretty easy to understand. Good. Like, I, I, I didn't, you know, 
I mean, I understood the story, so maybe, maybe there was, or I knew the story ahead of time, so maybe, like, I didn't have to process that, and so I was able to sort of go with the story a little bit more. But I didn't feel it was terribly heavy. Um, the the stakes are very clear for everyone that we're seeing on screen, even if you don't understand all the nuts and bolts. Yeah, where my <clears throat> the tension for me was as a you know fairly conservative investor with my retirement stuff and like small little packets of cash that I usually piss away on bad investments, you know, whatever. <laughs> Is this your Robin Hood work? Yeah, my Robin, <laughs> okay. yeah, my Robin Hood account. That point where they all hit where the stock was up so much yeah. that they should have sold. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's what you do. Like yeah. you, you make that money and you sell, yeah. especially these individuals who are taking very, very small amounts of money, you know, and turning it into large sums. And these were all individuals with at least in terms of the two students <laughs> at UT Austin. Yes. Um, yeah. What, $150,000 worth of student loan debt each? Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, single mother nurse, you yeah. know. So that was the part I was like, oh, my God, why? I get it. Like, he got you this far. He's telling you to hold. Uh, and it kind of, it, it, it kind of Diamond hands. Yeah. <laughs> Tendies. You know. um, but. I, that was the part I was like, oh man, like yeah. that, that for me was, yeah. that was the heartbreaking part was, especially with towards the end, they, they do the little title cards or the, right. the, the script. Yeah. What they're, yeah. What happened next? Yeah. And, uh, you know, all of them did all right, except America Ferrara. Yeah. And she was like, what, 15 grand back in debt. to, I mean, she started in debt, yeah. but yeah, didn't, she didn't even get to clear her debt. Yeah. yeah it was, yeah. That was sad. I did not like the casting of this movie. Oh, really? No, yeah. I really? liked the Where did you have a problem? Pete Davidson. He was my first oh. problem. I did not believe for a second they were related. Okay. Like it, and it, mm. it was just, car- he was cartoonish. Yeah. You know, although funny, I mean, you know, funny in a Pete Davidson sort of yeah. way. But but also it, not like taken no. to 11 with Pete Davidson. He kept it in check. I yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't think he was over the top, but I didn't, I didn't buy the casting at all. I didn't buy Seth Rogen. I didn't, oh. I didn't uh, buy um, Nick Offerman. Uh, huh. Nick, Nick Offerman was playing, what's his, the Parks and Rec? Ron, uh, Swanson. Ron Swanson. One, yeah. yeah, he was he was a billionaire Ron Swanson. But he didn't have a mustache. Without him. <laughs> I mean. I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I actually, I said the exact, and we, <laughs> you can ask Aaron, I said the exact opposite thing. I was like. I really love the cast. I thought, I thought they it was did Castro. I thought it was Castro. a great job. I, I mean, I do think Dano oh. led the piece. I sure. mean, it, it, and he's fantastic, and it's great to see him in a role that doesn't necessarily have to tap into his creepiness that he can tap into. <laughs> no, seriously, you know, he does oh, enough of, of those where I kind of like seeing him have one where now he truly is the hero of this film. He put a red bandana on and wore, wore a kitty shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's goofy, but but I think that's all like more in a charming yeah. than creepy yeah. sense. I think it's a wise move for, move for him, especially with the success of Batman the Riddler. Yeah. And there will be blood and we could go on and on yeah. to show a little diversity at this level in his career. Who knows where he's going next, yeah. but I will be at the theater most likely. Yeah, I, I like I that get, guy. I get your point about Davidson not feeling the same genetic mold as <laughs> Dan. And I, I understand that, but it never gave me pause. And I was generally, generally I appreciated the like idea that of course, you know, he would have a slacker brother who 
is sort of checked out, but just checked in enough to be able to kind of know what's going on and translate to his family. Like, oh yeah, no, he's actually a big deal on the internet. And so, I don't know. I I thought it all kind of was well calibrated for what he is able to do. I turned to Aaron. And I said. That was Pete Davidson's best movie. <laughs> I agree. That's the best acting I've seen him do on screen. Okay. But but I hear what you're saying. Like, if I scrutinize it and I think, did he and Dano have chemistry? Did they seem like two brothers necessarily? Probably not. I'll give you that. Yeah. Paul Dano is a goddamn national treasure. Yeah. And, and yeah. He, he, I love it. He was well cast. I loved him. I loved, I, I did like Shailene Woodley. Yeah. Um, How about D'Onofrio I, on, I, the, I, on the see, hedge fund D'Onofrio side? D'Onofrio. Nailed it. I okay, thought, I okay. thought he was well, very the, believable, and also the character, the pig, the the ridiculous. Uh, what what is that contortionist massage that he's getting done? Right. I don't know. What the, you know, so when making you have too much money, ridiculous groans, yeah. and I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. But the the you know some of the casting I thought was weird. It, it, not, it never took me out of it. Again, Nick Offerman playing a billionaire, saying shit balls. It's 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 not. Yeah, he he was the smallest part of that whole thing. But yeah, they were small. It never it never like got my. But I did like Rogan. I I had no problem with Rogan at all, and I and I found him like to inhabit the character well enough where I I got the anxiety that he was trying to get across. I felt Paul Dano and his brother and wife go eat dinner a couple times. They're they're around the parents, right? And I thought that those scenes were just perfect. I thought that it was real. I felt it. Yeah. And then when the father is, that, um, that's my son. I'm proud of my son. When Because uh, the, the film kind of ends with him, Paul Dano's character, going at all of the hedge fund operators, going and speaking in front of Congress. Yeah. His speech rallies the troops. His speech talks about the class warfareism of the whole thing. And the father, I don't know if he had a tear in his eye or not. I can't remember. But uh, that's my boy. You know, oh, I got allergies at that moment. You know, but then yeah. again, I'm. It's, it's also dealing with, uh, you know, parental shit right now. <laughs> Paul Dano's next film is uh, Adam Sandler film, 2024 on Netflix called Spaceman, <laughs> directed by Johan Renk, a Swedish huh. video music video director. Okay. Well, okay. You know, we'll see what happens. All right. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I, I generally liked it. I'm curious. What did you guys think about the music in this film? They definitely use some very specific popular music. I mean, I'll, I'll put right out there. WAP comes on very right early yep. in the film. And and again, the Roaring Kitty, I get the yeah. the jokiness. I appreciated it. I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it, it. But I could see some people feeling like, oh, this is kind of a... Over the top. Well, over the top or like pandering almost. Like I'm, I'm going to use, you know, one of the most popular songs of the last couple of years just to get you hyped for the film yeah. kind of thing. I didn't mind it. Yeah. I didn't mind it. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. I didn't mind it. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cl- a clever little like, yeah. you know. There's a few of those. Yeah. A few of those nods to his cat persona right. on online. I also, we would be remiss if we didn't mention how much beer has a role in this film. This is beer in a movie after all. <sighs> You're and right. Very few films give us this kind of opportunity to really tear <laughs> into how beer is used in this film. Um, because there's a very important early scene that we get where Keith, the, the Dano character, meets up with this other friend of his who's kind of gone on to be a bigger trader kind of person, I believe, in this in New York City. And he's kind of visiting back and they're talking and it's when he first exposes his GameStop position early right. on to, to this friend who's like, what are you thinking? That's a dead stock. Nobody's going to do it. So, but the friend, you know, makes a point of at the bar that they're going to both get Heineken's, right? A premier beer. Well, it, and it's what they used to drink together, right? He's uh-huh. like, you know, we we'll always drink Heineken's. Let's get Heineken's. And, the, you know, ordering two Heineken's and Dano Gill says, 
no, I'm, I'm going to get a hams on the basis of these are 50 cents a can versus, you know, your Heineken, which is like a dollar fifty. If you're buying it at the store or whatever, you know, whatever. And they kind of go back and forth and actually it gets contentious. And it's one of those like ridiculous situations that servers always have to deal with where you have two people fighting at the table. Like, okay, just make up your mind, people here. Don't hold me hostage. But and then it kind of becomes symbolic, right, of these positions these guys are taking where like, you know, you have the old school mentality of, you know, here he's refined. He's going to have an import beer versus Dano, who is the, you know run-of-the-mill day trader guy who is mm-hmm. just going to make do with his uh, yeah. cheap hams, right? So, we can put more money, more money into Robin Hood. We talked about trying to get all of those, uh, but Heineken, fuck that shit. <laughs> Paps Blue Ribbon, that's what you'll <laughs> drink tonight. We did Heineken already up in episode 77 alongside uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah. Couldn't get any hams? And I don't, Paps, I don't think we uh, ever Paps get that Brewing. down here, uh, do we? I don't know. Now, sadly, there is another beer that comes up uh, just a little bit in the film th- that at least comes on screen and is recognizable in its label when he goes home in the and he gets to have a beer. Yeah. Shailene Woodley has a bottle of Scrimshaw Pilsner from North Coast, which we do get in this market. But sadly, I could not find any on the shelves. I did just see it on tap, though, at a bar in town. So, uh, like, it's in our market. We, we, but anyway. Hams comes to Texas. I have not seen it in yeah. our town. Yeah. I want to say one more thing before we maybe move on. I appreciated the social media aspect of this film. A, it's an important part of the story. But B, how it is presented, the TikTok videos over and over, the, the Reddit page, the, yeah. the, the method he uses, which I assume is accurate, of making his little videos with the backgrounds in the back. I thought it was a really interesting snapshot that if I ever come back to this movie, and maybe I won't, it might not be that kind of film, but who, those that do are going to see what 2021 social media was. And I think in 10 years, that might be a very interesting thing to see. I like this when this happens in a way that I don't like the ring, which requires you to need a video cassette for the film to work. If you see the differentiation there, because now we don't have video cassettes. I'm not scared of the ring. Yeah. Because I hope no one transferred that to DVD or onto <laughs> streaming. That would really make no sense. A thumb drive. It's being passed around. <laughs> the the one final thing that I think is kind of important is, you know, this is set like early pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you have your students and then you have, you know, the average people are your first responders and essential personnel. And nurse, so you're the yeah. nurse and the GameStop employee yeah. because they well, sell. Who, Anthony Ramos yep. does he a was good great. job in that in that role. Yeah, um, but because they sell sell mice, yeah. they're considered essential. I hadn't realized <laughs> they had used that loophole. That's interesting. That, I thought that that was super interesting. Yeah. And, and I did think. You know, we're starting to see these films depicting the COVID era now. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're bringing this up. And I think this one does a really nice job of doing it fairly accurately and um, and and not in like, um, you know, how it was. Yes, it was a reality everybody was having to deal with and everybody was dealing with it a little bit differently, but it wasn't the only thing people were dealing yeah. with. And so I, I liked how it balanced all that. out. Yeah, they were wearing masks, but it wasn't. The central feature, yeah. although it was a point of comedy. That's right. You know, well, in, and, in and a point stuff. of conflict when and he was conflict, when yeah. uh, Ramos was wearing the mask below his nose when his boss walks in, and then the boss is like, oh, 
up over you know and it becomes one of the Your markers mask. of this which is a little sad that, <laughs> that you put that on the the evil nasty i mean that's one of the worst characters in the film right there is that you know lackey for the corporate mm-hmm. you know uh corporation there GameStop. Uh, yeah Inter- but interesting i think how it wove in those layers and you're seeing like as much as this company that they're kind of not exactly propping up but they're helping keep current to help helping to keep off of life support um through that it's not necessarily a benevolent force right in the lives of its employees and so that you know it's interesting that it was actually able to weave that into the story a little bit in a fairly organic way that i felt made its point without making it too much of a chore you know what i mean but it it also weaved in that sort of corporate bullshit strategy like selling like the memberships selling selling you know yep because you know he was selling a game or a piece of equipment or whatever and push them to the use because that's where we get the higher profit margins you know you should be yeah and of course there's a binder yes (laughs) yeah absolutely no no good corporate bullshit is the uh, only complete without a binder the only right (laughs) the only note they have given us a binder we must (laughs) the only note i would give them is that GameStop manager would have been an easy way to say how GameStop felt about what was going on because it was all going on while he was employed there. It seems like that would have been a bit of conversation that they could have had, Mm -hmm. but regardless. Well, it all unfolded so quickly. I mean, the fact, I think it's actually probably a point of accuracy that a a store manager might not have gotten swept up at all in what was going on because we're talking about a span of like, you know, a couple weeks that we're looking at and you know i'm sh- maybe it came up on the news but a lot of people in their 20s aren't paying attention to any news sources i just don't think this is one of those that you could have ignored i mean you were going to see this yeah, maybe if you were if you have a twitter account or you know any kind of yeah. social media account. and he definitely knew because at the very very end when the stock didn't crater but when it fell yeah he was leaving and he fired him or threatened to fire yeah. him you know there was that that exchange and and he kind of realized uh his bravado and he's like you sold didn't you yeah you know so he knew that right. that, that his employee yeah I, so I, bad with me, that had had a position in yeah. gamestop i'm wealthier gambling. now and i'm going to yeah. continue to work here because i like working right. here I, I like that little line it's also i mean worth at least mentioning sebastian stan showing up i don't i don't think it was necessarily a standout role or anything but it was an important piece with the uh vlad was the guy's name right who was the head of uh robin hood and yeah having to kind of answer for their stuff I mean, I think he did fine, but it was interesting. This is, you know, Craig Gillespie, the director, was also the one who did I, Tanya, where right. uh, he had played, what is it, Jeff Galuli? Is that the guy's name? Yeah. Where that was probably the first performance of his that actually did stand out to me a little bit, where I was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. And, and I've liked him in some other stuff since. He's, I think he does fine here. Um, and, and it's interesting to see, you know, this is a, this is a modality that uh, Gillespie likes working in you know what i mean this kind of like based on a true story with a little bit of a ridiculousness to it and uh and playing into the class dimensions there's a trend here i loved it i i would say definitely catch it on streaming if it interests you the subject matter interests you or there's just nothing else in the theater you want to see it's worth seeing this is one that i would yeah i i would say that this is one of the few films where i would say i don't think i would have really been that disappointed to have seen this on streaming i mean I'm ha- i was happy to have an sure. afternoon at the theater with it but i would yeah. probably watch this on some streaming platform in a couple months and been just as happy with the experience yep. i agree but it was worth it yeah it was worth it i recommend it 
Yeah. Now, do you recommend Zeno's Pale <laughs> Ale from Lone Pine Brewery, our third time to visit this brewery? Ooh, I didn't realize we had been there that much. Well, I already said I'm I'm a fan of uh, of, of other things they've done. Um, this these are fairly fresh. These were canned in August. We're at end of September, so maybe six seven weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of hop character, as Joe said, in the nose right off. I was getting it in the flavor, very nice and light. I'm I'm a fan. I like the Xenos. In fact, to be honest, if they if this was on tap right next to Yellow Rose, I might ask for one of these instead, just because it's a little bit lighter. And that's, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. That's where I am. I, I don't disagree with you at all. No, we know. You're a logger dude, Anthony. Mm-hmm. So anytime we're pouring a non-logger, <laughs> and that's going to happen twice today, I'm curious your take. That's fine. As long as we don't – I'm I'm the anti-Kaylee. I, I like the lighter stuff. I don't like the darker stuff. Yeah. And I'm okay with pale ales, and this was good. I mean, I would I would definitely drink this again. I, I like the hop forwardness of this in a pale ale. This is yeah. I, I would go to this again and again. I'm glad we had this today. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a not a huge IPA fan usually for the over hoppiness, but I do like pale ales because you do get a little bit of that hoppiness, and this was this was pleasant. Nice. Now, what could we possibly have paired with dumb money? When we come back, we'll tell you. But before that, I do want to talk a little bit about what we thought about doing because that's a fun conversation too. Stay right where you are. We are back. We have never been to this brewery before, David. They're out of Houston. It's called True Anomaly. This is their Ooh. Sea of Waves Mixed Culture Golden Sour Barrel-Aged Blend from 2022. <laughs> oh, yowza. They say Sea of Waves is our award-winning blend of base golden sour, golden sour, aged in red wine and neutral barrels with our house-mixed cultures. The barrels lend some oak to the aroma along with a pleasant minerality. Mm. I picked this up in Houston, and I've been saving it for Anthony to come visit us again. <laughs> I do like a good sour. Definitely farmhouse on the nose, but not not like super scary sour smelling right now. Um, but that farmhouse smell that you're talking about is so unmistakable. You know what you're when you when your nose leads into the glass before your yeah. lips. You know what you're about to get. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to taste one. I'm, I'm kind of getting a sense that there might be some Britannomyces mixed in here in this mixed culture. Oh, your favorite. Uh, one of my favorites. And so I'm excited to try. It's always interesting to see what kind of balance they get because that's you are gambling. I mean, we're talking about gambling this episode in the mm-hmm. stock market and uh, with, with various business ideas. But w- Joe, you well, before was- we hit. The break said you wanted to talk through how we paired this week. Wall Street came to mind first, and of course it did. And we, I don't, we're we're a little Oliver Stone white. Um, Also, the Wolf of Wall Street. Then we got excited about that because Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon will be here. Which I saw the trailer for right before Dumb Money, and boy, does that one get my. You know, juice is flowing. I'm looks, ready for that. It's a good trailer, man. I'm very excited about that film. Let's see. What, what were the other one? Boiler Room. I mean, there's there yeah. are some finance movies that leap to call. mind. The Big Short. Yeah. Yep. 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 We that threw that out mix. there. And that, and that actually has a lot of tonal similarities, I think, to what Dumb Money was doing. Sure. Yeah. It, was this your idea, though, Anthony? It was. Take us there. You're welcome. So, the writer of the book that Dumb Money was based on is Ben Mesrick. Uh, who also uh, wrote the book that The Social Network 
was uh, based on. And right. as a matter of fact, this book was called The Anti-Social Network. Right. The D- one that the Dumb, one Money Dumb Money is based Dumb on. Money was yeah. based on called The Anti-Social Network. And and the the social network, uh, it was uh, The Accidental Billionaires yep. was the title of that one. But So it's kind of funny that both books have landed him some pretty high-profile film adaptations right. that both took liberties with the name, you know, like decided to change the name. Though this one... His new book, kind of referencing the, the title of the book, of the that he, film, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, interesting, yeah. And one last tie-in, which I don't think anybody knew beforehand, but as we were sitting through the credits, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss <laughs> were uh, executive producers of Dumb Money, I and mean, they factor in obviously very, uh, very much in Social Network. Well, just like it was our third time to visit Lone Pint, this is our third time to visit David Fincher. If you go back, you can find uh, Mank. Yeah, and. Yeah, disappointing Fincher, sadly, on that one. Fight Club. For me. Fight Club, that's right. We did Fight Club. Yeah, we got we got to get around and do a few more here one of these days. But I'm glad we get to uh, of course. take on this one, which I remembered warmly, but had not returned to in at least a decade. It seems like about the same thing. Which is me. so freaking weird because I'm like, isn't that a fairly recent film? This was definitely one of those that caught me off guard when we decided to do it. And I looked, oh, this came out in 2010. 2010. That was 13 years ago. Holy smokes. How much the world has changed, but also feels exactly the same in certain ways. Yeah, I guess it's worth the synopsis. Yeah. Kind of know what it's about. Right. Um, you know, so so based on Ben Resrick's book, uh, The Accidental Billionaires, here you have the story of young Mark Zuckerberg as a student at Harvard College, Harvard University, getting in this story, in this version of it, sort of rankled in his social relationships, that propelling him into developing these various platforms that eventually leads to him creating the Facebook and then ultimately Facebook. And it's the fictionalized telling of that rise of this, what we now know to be hugely dominant and pervasive and influential in, in ways that we still don't quite fully understand platform that ha, you know re- really has come to dominate. I mean, even when this film came out 13 years ago, it was clear that Facebook had achieved something. But what was it? Does it end in it says there were 500 million users? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, what I don't know what it is currently, but I think we went well north of a billion and what that company is valued at and all the other things it's kind of gotten more into and how advertising has become such a bigger part, three billion users, yeah. thank you, Joe, such a bigger part of the sort of media ecosystem and, and that we all kind of, you know, live in. It's it's fascinating. So, the, you know, this is, um, uh, you know, Jesse Eisenberg playing uh, Zuckerberg in one of his sort of early adult roles i would say or like that precipice of adult roles you you have uh <laughs> i was reminded at how that was probably the first time that i had really seen army hammer in a film at least that had stood out to me playing that dual role of the winklevoss twins the winklevoss <laughs> <laughs> that's good uh you you have uh you know uh andrew garfield here playing eduardo saverin the uh partner who comes along and kind of helps shepherd this idea at least through a certain phase justin timberlake dropping in as sean parker um, who had had success with earlier tech ventures like he was Napster, right? Napster, Napster. and and has 
since gone on to, I think, working with Spotify and some others, but did have this time that he was the president of, of Facebook and, and was very integral to what they were doing. Um, Rooney Mara in, in an early role of mm-hmm. hers, playing the girl who jilts him sort of at, at the beginning of the film. Anyway, so so an interesting cast of who's who in terms of who's become some pretty notable stars, but getting some of those early exposures here in this film, um, all about the rise and really, you know, continued rise yeah, right. <laughs> of Facebook, and uh, you know what a what a story to unfold. I don't know. They, they, I feel like I've already said I liked this film initially. I did, but it had been a while since I revisited it. Did both of you come to it with that sort of? I know you'd both seen it, right? Yep. And how how had you felt about it back in the day? I very liked it very much when it came out, and certainly the score. Yeah. 13 years ago probably was I had seen Eisenberg before in Squid and the Whale minimally but this was okay this guy's here to play this guy and he does such a good job in Mm -hmm. this film playing a guy who you think you kind of know but we probably don't really at all he comes across as much more human than I feel like Zuckerberg does nowadays I I, I feel like the more I've seen been exposed to Zuckerberg and him talking and and there's kind of that whole meme on the internet of him being an alien and you know that I think that sunk in enough that watching this depiction of Zuckerberg actually felt a little like, oh, they were really kind of being kind to this guy and how human Eisenberg made him seem. <laughs> there was a line at the end, right, uh, where uh, the lawyer says, like, you're, you're not an asshole. You're just trying to be. And yeah. that's that's how I felt like, yeah. throughout the whole thing was he, he was humanized, like he kind of got to know him a little bit better, but he was just like on the precipice of trying to be an asshole all the time. Joe, you already mentioned the soundtrack, and I think that's really important here because for me, this film was absolutely the first time that I remember Trent Reznor doing a score, right? I I remember his work with Lynch and Lost Highway, and I mean, so I I knew there was some of that inkling here, but going to a film that I knew was composed by him and Atticus Ross and that was so dialed in and didn't just sound like – let's take nine inch nails yeah. into a film, but instead, no, let's make a soundtrack, a score for that, which I think is what they do now. I mean, we just saw yeah. mutant mayhem a few weeks yeah. ago with a great score from them. That's mm-hmm. very different than this one, but this score from the moment I sat down in the theater and it started playing through very, I was just totally hooked. And it's probably one of my favorite film scores of all time at this point. I mean, w- watching this film again, it definitely helped solidify that. And I even listened to the soundtrack, you know, the score a little bit today when I had uh, some time in my office because it's just, it's that good. I, I want it. It's great in the scenes, but it's also great apart and it's just great music to hear. I enjoyed the the origin story jilted by not jilted because he was acting like a prick and then she leaves and then yeah. he throws a tantrum in an all night coding a thon to make a pretty nasty little yeah. website that of course if I was in college and presented with rank two girls left or right and who which one's hotter me and my buddies would have probably played for a few minutes. We would have been one of the 20,000 people that visited the the site that night or whatever. Crashed the network. Crashed the whole Harvard network. I liked the way that Mark Zuckerberg and the Twinkle, what is it? (laughs) The Twinkle Toes. The Twinkle Twinkle Voss. Twinkle Voss is um, (laughs) sparred without sparring. Like, yeah. like long distance via email, via him, yeah. uh, Zuckerberg blowing them off. And then these two boys and their partner that have been handed everything their entire life throwing tantrums because this was 
Was it their idea? I mean, did he steal it? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's presented in the film like he did and didn't at the exact same time. But I enjoyed all of well, these. Well, there was, I mean. The, human tensions. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that's kind of in the air is like, right. I mean, they even mentioned in the film, like, well, how is this different than Friendster and MySpace? Like, there were other platforms that were doing similar things. The fact I that remember. these these twins wanted to do their own version of that and that he, you know, like the idea was out in the ether. It was, I, I don't, but it, but it is interesting because when it, when you're dealing with that kind of an idea with that kind of value in the sense that we're going to be able to make this kind of money, it becomes very important, right? About like, well, who said what, when, and who made this kind of um, gesture at that time, who hired whom it's, it's an interesting sort of peek in, how business operates at that level though these guys kind of on the ground floor but they're harvard guys they're being groomed into this right i mean that's that's the whole the social caste system of harvard is kind of part of this as well right that's part of his Shown motivation fraternities or whatever they were social clubs exactly giving, what was it the flight club or something what the was phoenix? the phoenix the phoenix and yeah. there was the yeah but the, yeah. The, that yeah. to get into an elite one helps you become elite right you know helps you along and Zuckerberg doesn't even try because he knows he's too dorky to probably get into one. His buddy, Andrew Garfield, Eduardo Saverin, wants to get in one. I imagine and anyone does. at Harvard wants to. And I also enjoyed the human relationship between those two partners as it grew, grew, grew and disintegrated. I think that the, you know, the element, I don't know if they keep going back to it, but obviously was the exclusivity that was what separated the Winklevoss at all. Yeah. company from like the Friendster net, whatever, those yeah. sorts of things. And right, that's, that's exactly right. how Facebook started. Yeah. It was exclusive. You needed a harvard.edu email address. Yeah. You know, obviously expanding very, very fast. But but even the schools they chose to expand to. Yeah, no, Ivy, they, Ivy they, it was strategic schools. as they yeah. went yeah. going first to those top tier schools. And yeah. 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 Oh, no, no. It was it was very, very purposeful. Just uh, as you guys were talking, I was like trying to like do some math in my head. So <laughs> at the end of this film, they said however many users Facebook had and it had a market valuation of 25 billion. That yeah. was what the valuation. Um, and so the settlement with the Winkle buy was $65 million. Right. That's how much they decided their idea was worth. Yeah. Today, Facebook, Meta, which is the parent company, has a market cap of $560 billion yeah. <laughs> and has been over a trillion. Yeah. Um, you know, just a couple of years ago. So, yeah. You know, there's, <laughs> there is a lot of importance on who did what and when. Yeah. It, it it's funny to think of again how this film felt at the time it came out and how it was i mean it was very of the moment but far enough along that you kind of knew oh this is more than a flash in the pan kind of situation this is a pretty important you know platform slash business venture that has really come to shape a huge part of our reality in the, in the 21st century sure but to think that 13 years later we're sitting here and it's like yeah it's kind of just i mean obviously it's changed it's it's grown but also evolved and it, it's no longer doing the thing it was i mean it's fun to see those early scenes in the sense that it was really hip and cool and it was and it was i mean i remember i was a graduate student at the university of texas when this uh was going on when when the when the platform was you know lifting off and starting to spread to other campuses and when it came to ut i remember undergraduates that i was in a class for 
who were talking about being on Facebook and getting on Facebook. And I had a MySpace page, but I, and I hadn't even, but I wasn't an undergrad. I wasn't, I had a utexas.edu address. I could have signed up, but I was like, ah, this sounds like what the undergrads are doing to hook up and, you know, and find each other or whatever. And I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't need to deal with that. I can, I can listen to music on MySpace. <laughs> That's seriously, I went there for a lot of band pages yeah. back in the day. But it wasn't until like a couple of years later and I had moved, I, I had, I had gone up to Chicago and, uh, at that point it was so ubiquitous. I mean, you didn't even, I think at, by the time I joined, you did not need to have an EDU right. yeah, no. uh, email account or something. It was just, you know, anybody Whoever. who had an email. So I remember jumping on there and feeling like, Oh, this is different than what I imagined it was. <laughs> and it's, so it's kind of interesting to see that moment being depicted, which I glimpsed from the sidelines. But but see it with the characters as they were living it kind of in that moment, because it really was that kind of I mean, it's I, grassroots isn't the right word because of w the elite <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, st st strategy effort in an elite. Yeah, location. I, I guess you're right. It just feels wrong to say that. Yeah. But it, but it really did have this kind man. of like it's, it's viral. It's just catching. It's like people telling, oh, yeah, are you on there? Yeah, you should. Oh, I spent three hours on there yesterday you wouldn't believe <laughs> you think like people scroll on their phones now for longer than that on a given day but it was you know then it was mind-blowing that you would spend that much time on a platform like this yeah i don't even remember like i remember when the movie came out i remember seeing it i must have been aware of facebook i don't think i was on facebook at the time this by movie. 2010 you weren't i don't think so don't i don't know because it's like when i look back on some like early posts like it was like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Like that's as far as my, you know, okay. memories yeah. seem to go back. So I don't even think I was on Facebook. Are they even real memories prior to that? <laughs> yeah. are, 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 are they real memories if they're not on Facebook? I know. Which in After Hours, I want to talk about two Facebook memories with Dr. David Gurney. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. That Facebook Actually, reminded me I of. think I know at least one that you're going to talk about. I get reminded of that. <laughs> You, you, that's interesting that because I, I definitely had had probably around 2007, 2008 is when I eventually jumped on. Wasn't I would call it a regular user or anything, but it was probably actually around 2010 that I got a little bit more into it because we had moved again. Yeah. We had actually just moved here. This is like one of the first films I went to see in the theater in Corpus Christi oh, funny. back in the day um, by myself because, you know, like, hey, Aaron, is it all right if uh, we put Adela down for a nap and, <laughs> and I go see the new Fincher film? You're okay with that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, b back when I was total solo movie goer and she couldn't come see the good movies with me. Well, now she came to see Dead Dumb Money with me. She did. Um, but I remember that and I remember feeling like, oh, this is kind of interesting, this kind of snapshot. And it felt retrospective while at the same time very current. Now it feels much more retrospective. Yeah. Um, Especially the hardware they're using. Yeah. The graphics yes. presented. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely like the way he told the story, like the three different timelines or at least the three different time periods. Like mm -hmm. you got the like creation timeline, but then it jumped forward to the Winklevoss uh, lawsuit and right. the Saverin lawsuit to kind of set, you know, like context and conflict for what's coming later and flashing back to, you know, the present. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was pretty effective. I loved how he, how antagonistic he was in the depositions and, uh, and, and mediations. Every time he spoke and his lawyer, shush, you know, and he kept speaking. I, I love that. I can't wait for you to write me a check. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> do I, do I? Because that is your, where we're headed. I'm going to probably have to write you a check, but. Do I have your full attention? <laughs> that's great. That's a great sequence. Yeah. No, it, it absolutely was. Well, I mean, we got to talk at least a little bit about 
the screenwriter here, right? I mean, we oh, didn't. I thought you were going to say the beer in the movie because it's in there too. Well, we're bit. T- you know, you guys mentioned some dialogue you liked. I mean, this is Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin yeah, um, and probably my favorite of the films that he's written. Where I feel like, for me at least, why it works is it's totally. I hate to say it, it's kind of elitist, but it's totally believable for me that a bunch of prep school people at Harvard University would be this rapid with their thinking, with their speech. Which sometimes puts me off with Sorkin. Like Sorkin, if I ever get hung up on his stuff, it's usually about how pat the dialogue is and how the rat-a-tat sort of nature of it gets delivered feels too forced for me in my contemporary mentality. But here, I think both because it works comedically at times and because of the milieu being these Harvard guys, it all kind of locks in and and it never takes me out of it and I never think like, oh... There's Aaron Sorkin being Aaron Sorkin again. You want to guess how many screenplays he's written? Twelve. Ten. Okay. A Few Good Men? Yes. Like it. Malice? Don't know it. I don't remember that. The American President? Like it. Charlie Wilson's War? Yeah. Didn't see it. I remember liking it okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman was great in it. Social Network? Moneyball? Loved it. Like it. Yeah. Steve Jobs, Molly's Game, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and the and being the Ricardos. The last three he directed as well as that's wrote. That's right. That's right. And I can tell you, don't like them. You know, remember Trial of the yeah. Chicago Seven? It was just Not as too much. heavy-handed and too yeah. on the nose. And again, that that's where the dialogue. Maybe it's when other people are directing his dialogue that it could be. It works out better too. Because Moneyball is a fantastic film. Watched it with yeah. my son, who it's one of his favorites when he was here for the summer. Yeah, I just watched that the other day. It's just on like one of the streamers. I was like, okay, yeah, why not? Yeah, West Wing. I could go into the TV, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love this one. If you haven't seen the Social Network, and chances are, if you're a beer in the movie fan, you have. It, it's worth your time today. It's, <laughs> the Fincherness of it, the fantastic acting. I, I think you're right, Anthony. The parallel. Uh, narrative with the lawsuits and then moving back and forth the way uh, the the redemption moment that the girlfriend that jilted him we, as we say at the beginning yeah. she she has it again i don't care how much fucking money you have to get away from yep. me because i know the core of you yeah back before it all started i thought justin timberlake did a great job for what he yeah. was trying you know, what, what the point of of sean parker being in the film and i enjoyed the Justin Timberlake monologue as the <laughs> Napster. I, I've been here and done that. And of course, there's bravado there and machismo, you know, all the, the ego is there. But at the same time, I feel like we're seeing a nice distillation of the story of Napster in five minutes, you know, because yeah. that was a big deal. I changed the music industry. Yeah. No, you didn't. You want to go buy a Tower Records now? Yeah. You know, and he and he did. We don't we don't do that anymore. Although the yeah. three of us here do with our stupid vinyl hats. <laughs> yeah, early appearance at Dakota Johnson too. Oh it, yeah, you know, right. who wouldn't have stood out to me then, but did this viewing where I was like, oh, I know her from other stuff now. Caleb Landry Jones also shows up as a fraternity brother in one of the scenes, but like a very small part. And, you know, that's super early for him. So always interesting to look back at these films, especially when they're cast with primarily younger performers. Kind of one of the little Easter eggs of a film like this that you can go back and say, oh, Dakota Johnson before she had the, I guess, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was probably the breakout for her. Right. Yeah. And then she was great. I thought we thought, I think, in um the one with Olivia Coleman, yes, the daughter. Uh, the, yes. Uh, not without my daughter. No, it's no, not. It. It's it's, not no. It. The, oh, God. 
I'll look it up. Yeah, you should look it up. That was really good, actually. <laughs> it, was no, great. it was great. Seen her in some really strong performances since then. So, yeah, it's, it's just exciting to kind of see that. You know, this film won for best screenplay, this adapted screenplay. This film The won, Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter, thank mm-hmm. you. One for score, totally appropriately, and one for editing. And I do think this is, you know, it's pretty typical with the, Fincher films. He's a very sort of fastidious kind of filmmaker. But, you know, everything's there for a reason. Everything's being put together. There's a lot of great sort of cross-cutting that goes on here between different events, sort whether they're happening simultaneously or not, seeing them kind of unfold simultaneously. It's just matched well with the score. It's matched well in terms of camera movement. It's 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 all like really put together thoughtfully and in ways that feels very natural and organic. But if you actually start paying attention to it and focusing, you realize how much thought had to go into planning out how they were shooting everything to have it fit together so well. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, the editors, uh, the editor of Social Network edited Dumb Money. Oh, well, there you go. Although I do not uh, think that one did not stand out no. to me as much visually and, and in terms of how it was putting together its images. But now that makes me want to return to it and think more. I'll about see that. Dumb Money again when it comes out on streaming. Yeah. 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 I just I just remembered reading that and then thinking, all right, I was going to look at the editing and see if there was anything. And no, it was definitely a different style. Yeah. Um, but they did share an editor. So, yeah, that's interesting. Loved it. Yeah, I'm Good glad I'm call. glad it was a uh, an op- opportunity to go back to it because I do think, you know, this this is definitely one of those. Oh, gosh. I mean, top three David Fincher films, I guess, for me. Um, Where, where's and- Alien 3 fit in? <laughs> lower <laughs> not in the top three zodiac is one yeah. of them in mind if we ever did zodiac yep. is probably right up there for me too seven um yeah i i like seven a lot oh that's that's near I, the I top i feel like there's one that i'm forget. Ah, and now we're getting off on a tangent. <laughs> the game i like yeah yeah that's panic room i liked it but it wouldn't be in my top three benjamin button no nope, not, top not my top three. dragon tattoo not top three. Not top three. Gone Girl Mank the Killer. The Killer not yeah, out Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'm think i going to say probably it's seven, it's this one, Social Network, um, and it's Zodiac. Those are those are the top three, and I don't know exactly the ranking, but those are the ones. I'm putting the game above seven. Ooh. Because on a rewatch, it, it, it didn't hold up for me the way that it- Seven didn't hold up no, for you. it did not. Okay, I got to rewatch that one to see if it holds up. Seven didn't hold up? Not for me in the most recent viewing. Mm. Wow. Okay. It's just a hot take I like to throw out there just to get No, I like it. it, it hey, come on. Get the Discord stir people the pot. mad at me. Let's, yeah, let's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you stir the pot with your comments. I'm going to stir the pot with my opinion on uh, this sea of waves. Whoa. Hot mixed take culture, golden incoming. sour. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I say that and it's like I'm going uh, to – I can't drink this. This is a, a fine take on a farmhouse ale. I think it's that mixed culture experience where it definitely is sour, but I think there's a lot of complexity in there. I'm getting, yes, some of the typical kind of like fruity notes that you might think of with sours. Like I feel like I'm getting a little bit of peach. I'm getting a little bit of uh, something almost like, I guess, pineapple maybe a little bit. Very, very hidden there. Anthony's <laughs> shocked that I'm saying pineapple, but there's something in there. Also, that high acidity, I don't know. There, there's also some like sort of grassier note in there, which is probably from the hops. I, I like this beer. I'm really enjoying sipping it. It's fine. Uh, farm, I do like sours. Um, the farmhouse style, it isn't my favorite. 
I, I sometimes feel like I'm drinking like day old champagne that's sat, <laughs> sat out that you know what <laughs> I understand exactly what you're saying like the fizz is gone and there, it's just that little hint of like the thrill is gone yeah but it's not bad I mean it's just not my favorite style yeah I, that's uh, hey and and let me be clear I find this really fun to drink a couple ounces of with you guys that's the truth and and talk about and kind of pick yeah. apart a little bit. Yeah, I'm drinking. But am I going to fill night. up a 16 ounce glass with this and throw mm. them back? No way. I mean, this is definitely a Occasion. give me a four ounce pour. Yeah. Let me sit, sip on it. And yeah, I'm moving on. Yeah, it's a it's an occasion beer, yeah. and uh, I like those. And for this occasion, I, I like this very much. It's much more sour than some of the uh, farmhouse and sours that we've had in the re- recent past. Yeah, it, it gets the little hinge jaw working. The wet red wine and neutral barrels lost on me. The barrels lend some oak to the aroma lost on me, and the pleasant minerality. Those are words. I don't know what that means, and I am not tasting it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I do think. Probably the barrel is helping to soften it a little bit. Just that you're right, Joe. This is more sour than some of the farmhouse mixed culture stuff that we've had more recently. But I don't find it totally intense. And I think part of that is probably because of the barrels. But, you know, that's I'm not it's not like I'm getting real wood notes here in in any of this. I think it's tough to compete with the. the uh, the acidity of the sound. And that's not a criticism of the beer. No. It's just that the marketing's a little flowery. Well, it, and I mean, I'm sure they're telling the truth. It's just how much does it actually bring to the flavor profile? And sometimes it's not as much as maybe the intentions were. And David's got peach and pineapple in his, apparently. I, you weren't getting some fruit in there at all? You don't get fruit at all? No. No fruit. See, Anthony's like the roaring kitty here who's who's no. bringing this hedge fund manager <laughs> yeah. taste it's like, God down it, to there, earth. There better be a logger in after hours. <laughs> Here's what I've got written down for after hours because the conversation does not end here. That's the best thing about beer in a movie. I got some biochemistry economics written down. I've got like, <laughs> let's talk about all of our majors in college games. Let's talk about our GameStop experiences. Horror films are on their way and I have been watching them nonstop. I'll give you a progress report. Were y'all on MySpace? David said he was. Yeah. I want to know about oh. MySpace, early Facebook, and Anthony, you say you've got two Facebook memories. I am sitting on the edge of my seat. Sounds and good. You will get all of the places to find everything that we're talking about at all the social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on X, but we're not really. You can join our chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. So just reach out to us on any of the aforementioned social media platforms, and we will get you the invitation we will be doing after hours, patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. And when you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, look, you're doing it right now. Don't leave without rating us, leaving us a review. It really does help out. Five stars is what we're aiming for. We need that algorithm. Anthony, what do we need the algorithm to do? Do what it do. Thank you. Put us out there as an option for more listeners. You have just experienced another all financial episode of beer in a movie. Until next time. You want me to run through lightning with my dick out? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.